Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. You have to excuse my uh, lectern made of toilet paper here. I've got quite a collection going here. Angel soft. <laughs> well, today was, or uh, this week was quite a week. I uh, finally did something I'd been putting off for a while and uh, finally made my way back to the dentist to uh, get some work done that I hadn't been looking forward to. But in, in, in my uh, years of going to the dentist, I think I've had just about every procedure you can have done, uh, you name it. I mean, anymore, they don't even try to fool me. They just, I say, what are we doing today? And the dentist will go, endo on number 42. Uh, I need a, we're going to get a size 12 length. Uh, we're going to, I'm, I know what you're talking about. So Tuesday, I'm at the dentist. And uh, my dentist is real good. He's pretty much Mr. Painless. I don't feel anything. Uh, so he'll put the shot in. And the, the worst part to me is when the Novocaine starts to set in. I just, I hate that doesn't hurt, it's just really weird. You feel your head start to swell, and you just feel like you're, you're going to float away across the room somewhere. And, uh, you know, and then they come in there and they start doing their thing. And then afterwards you walk out of there and you're like, <laughs> like have a nice day. And you're like, well, you walk out and try to make it home. I remember uh, when I was about, I was sick, probably about 16. And this is before I even had met Neil, I just left the dentist office, the same dentist, all those years ago, and was driving home and pulled up to a light there in Urbana, and I'm sitting there like this, and this, uh, this car pulls up beside me, and it's this really cute girl from like, she's probably from Urbana, and she just kind of looked at me, and she went, hi, and I went, <laughs> and she just looked at me and was like, took off. And I'm sitting there, you know, your face is just a mess. So what a week. Hopefully your week was a little better than that. Um, you know, usually from there I end up at the, getting my eyes checked, and it was just a week of getting everything, you know, the good tune-up going. And uh, if you've ever gotten your eyes checked, get your vision checked, it used to be you just sat there and they'd show you the eye chart, and that's A, C, you know, you go through the thing. Now you got to put your face in a machine, and they blow air in your face, and, and they scare the heck out of you when they do that. I, I, I hate that. But getting your vision checked is something that's that's really important. I've noticed my vision's not quite what it used to be. And you know, vision is one of those things we talk about, you know, in a physical sense, being able to see, but also vision in the sense of you know, wh what do you want out of life? What are you going to do? With, with with things, you know, what do you see your organization becoming, and going to the dentist, going to the doctor, I mean, that's, to me, that it's just a reminder of the things that you got to take care of business every once in a while, to, to keep the thing, keep your body going, you know, keep uh, whatever, and any organization, including churches, we have to do little checkups once in a while, and, and see where we're at, and and looking at our vision is one of those things, and today I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. When I was a kid, I remember one of my first uh, Little League practices. Coach said, how many of you want to play in the Major League someday? And every hand went up, yeah. 
I'm going to play for the Reds. I was going to be Davy Concepcion. Half of you probably don't remember who he was. Well, about, oh, probably 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Maybe, well, Lord, it wouldn't have been that long ago. A little bit less than that. Anyways, Kalen tried to play baseball. And I say try. He's my youngest son. And he went out for baseball. And I remember them asking them, how many of you want to play in the major league someday? And about two hands went up. And all these kids sitting on the bench just looking at him like, and I'm just like, well, what happened to these kids? Nobody wants to play in the majors anymore. You know, it's funny. You look at a, a contrast between people who have a vision. You know, I want to play ball. And those who are just, nah, I'm not interested in that. I got other, other things going on. But vision is an elusive thing that um, dares to dream big dreams about the future. What do you want your future to be? And it's been called a lot of things. It's hope with a blueprint, you know, how we're going to get there. It's a plan. Vision is what an inventor has when he or she thinks outside the box and want to create something new. I think one of my, the best descriptions that I've ever heard for vision, because sometimes vision is one of those words, everybody hears it and likes it, but nobody really can tell you what it means. And to me, vision is what a mother has when she looks at her newborn baby and imagines all that that child could grow up to become. All of you who are parents, uh, you looked at your child and you probably thought, what will, this, what will they be? What will they become? What, where are they going in life? That's vision. That's looking at somebody and saying, this is what this kid could become. Boom, that's vision, setting a, an idea of, of where you're going and, and where you to get there. Vision has a way of ignoring the critics. It's chasing its dream regardless of how many people tell you that it can't be done. One of my favorite stories, I like music, and uh, uh, some of you may years ago remember a little band called the Beatles, and the Beatles, as, I, uh, as, a, as I've read about them a little bit, uh, one of the original recording companies turned down signing the Beatles. They said, well, we don't like their sound, and, and that guitar stuff's on its way out. So they didn't sign them, and of course the Beatles went on and became a, a very powerful, very popular, revolutionary group in the world of music. You get the idea. Vision has a a way of ignoring those who say it can't be done and you just press on and you do it and you get it done. You know, all of us go through times when our vision kind of can fade. We can kind of forget what that vision was. We can forget about what we, we once wanted to do and, and where are we going and we kind of forget that. And the flame of our vision begins to, to dim a little bit. The passion begins to ease. The heat begins to, to cool off a little bit. Kids who come home from church camp, oftentimes, man, they'll be on fire. Fire for the Lord. And that's awesome. But over months and time away, and, 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 and if we're not connected, and we can kind of lose that, that heat a little bit. Thinking back to the Bible, you know, Paul was a, uh, 
Oh, a missionary. He spent most of his his life as a Christian going around, checking on churches, establishing churches, trying to promote this new gospel, this new thing called Jesus Christ, presenting it to the non-Jewish people. And that took a lot of vision. It took a lot of passion to be able to do that because Paul had a pretty rough time. He had been beaten many times. He had been stoned. He had been in a shipwreck, been thrown in jail. And later, late, very late in his life, in about you know, AD 60-ish, 62-ish, somewhere in there, he had just been released from prison in Rome. He'd been locked up. And after his fourth missionary journey, his fourth circuit, you know, checking on the churches and seeing things, he wrote a couple of letters, one to his, his protege, his, the young man named Timothy. And you've heard me speak about Timothy before. And Paul would later again go and be imprisoned under Emperor, I believe it was Nero, thrown in jail. This time it wasn't under house arrest where you know, he could see people and he could do things. This was, you're in a cellar. You're stuck in, in the prison. You're in the box. You're in the hole. Whatever they call it. You're in the worst place you could be when you're in jail. And so it was at that time of his life, I think he just knew this is it. This is the grand finale. My life is very short now. uh, My time is complete. The Lord has used me. He has done what he has wanted to do with me. And now we're here at the end. And he knew that, uh, you know, what, what was to come. Now, he, Paul is, he's not Superman. He's not Jesus. He's a man. And like any man, even though he is assured and has been affirmed by Christ himself of what lies ahead, he's probably frightened. He's worried. He's bored. He's alone. What do I do? I'm stuck here in this hole, and I've got all these churches that need me, these churches that need my help. I need to see Timothy. I want to see Titus. I want to see these young pastors who are coming in and who are going to have to take up the, the slack and run with it because my time is done. So here's Paul languishing in a cold dungeon and he ends up writing a letter to, to Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy is uh, you know, the first letter, of course, that he wrote. And the idea there behind 1 Timothy is, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're going to go to these people, the church of Ephesus, they've got some problems there you're going to have to deal with, but that's okay, God is with you. Uh, you're going to go and correct some things. There are going to be overseers and deacons. There are going to be people there who are going to help you, Timothy. It's okay. And uh, don't be afraid to dish out a little discipline and and listen to people and and really help this church get get strong. Well, time goes by. Paul is now sitting in prison. And he he writes uh, again to Timothy. And I think it's interesting because I believe, you know, Paul here was uh, was very lonely. And, 
you know, he'll, he'll start talking about some of the people who left him behind and people ditched him and had done different things. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. Because here we're at a place where, very easily, Paul could say, you know what, I'm at the end, man, it's all you now. But he knew that Timothy had been in a spot in Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was, was having its issues. Here you have a, a very young teacher, a very young preacher, a young man who's taken on this church. And he's getting some heat from some of the people at the church. And so Paul is writing to this Ephesian church through his letter to Timothy. And Timothy is somebody who very easily could have had his vision, his flame stamped out. Anytime you have somebody new coming into a situation, I think you see what I'm getting at. Uh, we have, I like that sign this morning, Pastor Kyle. Like, yes, <laughs> that made me feel good. Yeah. Because I'm anxious to see Pastor Kyle too. And I know Pastor Kyle's anxious to get here. He's, he's excited. He wants to be with us. He wants to get started on his ministry. But many times, young people get put into positions of authority over groups. And sometimes it doesn't work out the way that he had envisioned. Because everybody lost the vision. They, they forgot about what was important. The Apostle Paul had sent Timothy to try to salvage a mess in a church in Ephesus. And I'm not saying that our church is a mess. Don't, don't go there. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, other than the fact Timothy was young, Kyle is young, I, I don't want to go any further than that. But when Timothy got there, he found it himself in way over his head. The entire leadership team in the, F the Ephesian church was older than he was. They didn't respect his leadership. To make matters worse, there, there are hints throughout Scripture that Timothy was shy, he was timid. So he had a tendency to avoid confrontation. Yeah, I know, I'm getting, you guys are steamrolling me, but I don't have the, ah, just, never mind. It goes on. You know, the stress of this ministry assignment was probably affecting Timothy's health. He found himself sick with stomach ailments. And Paul even told him at one point, you know, take a little wine for your, for your stomach. You take care of yourself. Don't be afraid to, you know. I know the stress is getting to you. It's okay. I've been there. <laughs> take a little wine for your stomach. And in the meantime, his beloved mentor Paul had been arrested by the Roman government. So Timothy's vision, I'm afraid, had probably dissipated. This is a guy who had shown up. Paul has sent me here to this church in Ephesus. i got to get things straight. And it's been rough. I'm in over my head. What am I going to do? The excitement, the enthusiasm he probably once felt. When he joined Paul's ministry years earlier, that may have been gone. This is a rough time, a time of testing. And I think somewhere, Timothy's vision had slipped away. I believe both Paul and Timothy, both, needed their vision renewed. And that's a big reason, I think, why Paul wrote him this second letter. 
So let's look at 2 Timothy. I'm going to read the first uh, oh, 10 verses or so. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. I'm writing you, Timothy, because it brings me joy. I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you, kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Timothy, I know what you're going through there at the church. I know it's not been easy. But you need to rekindle afresh that gift that was given to you by God. Remember who you are in Christ Jesus. That you have a gift. That you have a fire that is there inside of you. Let it blaze. In fact... As he says there in um, verse 6, kindle afresh. That means to fan the flame. Whenever we start a fire in the fireplace, you can't just light it. You got to sit there and, and you got to blow it and you get the thing out and you're trying to get, the, get it going. And that's the image I get here of Paul talking to Timothy. Get that fire going, it's there. Fan that flame. Verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Don't worry that I'm in jail, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of that. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. God had a plan for this very moment, from the, the beginning of eternity. And that's why I'm so fired up that Kyle's coming. Kyle's old enough to be my son. It just amazes me. Where did the years go for me? Woo! Right out like smoke through the keyhole. You know, there we go. But the point is, at this very moment in time, from the beginnings of eternity, God set this up. He saved us, all of us. He saved Kyle, calling all of us with a holy calling, not for our sake, but for his purpose. I don't know what that purpose is. But I really believe that God has a purpose in mind for this time, for this church. You know, God gave Timothy all the equipment he needed to be effective as God's servant. He had everything he needed. Timothy had never been married. Timothy had never been old. Timothy had never held down a real job. Timothy had never done a lot of the things that the others in the church probably had never done. But everything that he needed to be a leader of that church, God had given to him. 
God gave him the equipment to be effective, to be his servant in that place. You know, Paul tells Timothy that because of these things, it's not a time for fear. That fear doesn't come from God. What comes from God is an attitude of power, of love, of self-discipline, the ability to face your fears and use your gifts, even when you're scared to death. Love's the capacity to the capacity to express God's love through our gift when we do use it. Do you need your vision for service renewed? A lot of us last week uh, came out to trunk or treat. And a lot of people, all of a sudden, you could see the vision just was renewed. Wow, we really could be a church with hundreds of people. Where are we going to put them all? And we were sitting around talking about what would happen if on Sunday they all came back. Where would we put them all? I don't think we have enough. We don't have enough seats. We'd have to stick them all out in the foyer with everybody else. They hang out there, and and you know I don't know where we'd put them. But you could see people starting to dream, and starting to wonder, and starting to think, man, if we can get two hundred, three hundred children here, if we could get you know, three, four hundred people through here. First time I've ever seen North Hills run out of food. And people were scrambling to cook hot dogs and whatever else they could lay hands on, you know. They'd probably been cooking breakfast if it had gotten to it. I don't know what's left in the fridge down there, but we'd probably, we'd have put the bologna out, you know, something. But it was fun to see people start to look at that and go, Wow! We could really be a, you know, a, not just a little church. We could be a big church. Not that being a big church is a big deal. But we started to see there are a lot of people out there. There are a lot of people who came to our church to be blessed. Sure, it was getting some candy. But it was also some fellowship. It was the opportunity to, to sit down and, and to meet other people throughout the community. What a wonderful event that was. And props to all of those who put that on. That was amazing. That got my vision stirred up. Wow, we're not equipped to handle that many people. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there in the dentist chair, you know, getting worked on. I'm thinking, well, we're going to need small group leaders, and we need this, and we're going to need people to do this. And Oh, my. Marilyn approached our congregation a while back about starting a, a, a women's group. And I, I think that they've met and they've done some things. Marilyn, where is Marilyn? I don't even know where she There she is. She casts a vision like a lot of people. I, I mean, she just comes up with an idea. and Let's do this. Let's have a library. Let's, let's clean up this dump. Let's, let's do this. Let, let's get another group going. That's somebody who casts a vision. You know, there's no substitute for actually using our gifts, drawing on God for, you know, his, his power, and then making our vision start to, to come true. So what is our vision? One of the things I've always enjoyed is our vision statement is very easy. 
You go to some places and their vision statement is like this massive thing. Nobody remembers it. Nobody knows what it is. Does anybody know what our vision statement is? There you go. Leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what this church is about. That ought to be our vision. We're not here to take people's money and to get all puffed up because all the people we had. And No, our, our, we're here because we want to know what it's like to be a follower of Christ. We're here because we want to grow in our relationship with Christ. To not be afraid of Jesus Christ. Are we really doing that, though? Are we really leading people, not just ourselves? I mean, we all want to be led into a closer relationship with Christ. But are we taking steps to lead somebody else to Christ? You know, I can't wait until Kyle comes. It's funny, you know, people tease me about it. What are you going to do when Kyle comes? You're going to sleep in now? You're going to do I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not going back to the Church of Saint Mattress. So, you know, I'm not going to do that. So, so what's uh, you know? I'm not sure what my role is going to be. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'll be an usher. Maybe I'll be the new candy man. I'll stand up there. And you want some candy? Maybe I'll be a teacher. Maybe I'll play the guitar. Maybe I'll. I don't know what I'll do. But I know what the goal is, whatever it is. It's to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Whatever it... I might be the toilet paper passer outer. <laughs> Go around and give it to the... Okay. I don't know. But so many of you have been very supportive and have been very kind to me. And I thank you for that. From the bottom of my heart, I appreciate all the letters the gifts that I've received, the words of encouragement. I'm thankful that some of you have allowed me to be a part of your life at some of the worst moments of your life. Um, I mean, that's a blessing that, that I am deeply uh, humbled by. And I have every confidence that, you know, as Kyle comes, as we begin our transition to this new time, that we're going to help him fulfill that vision here of this church. I'm sure Kyle has his ideas, but all of us together should be working to make, to draw people into a growing relationship with Christ. What will you be doing to help fulfill that vision of the church? Will you allow Kyle to lead you? Will you look at Kyle and say, oh, this is some kid. What's he know about being divorced? What's he know about people dying? What's he know about you, know, you and your wife are in a fight all the time? Well, what is he? he doesn't know anything about what? Well, he's married now. Maybe he does know about being in a fight now. I, I don't know. I wonder if they've had the first... Sorry, Kyle, if you're listening. Hopefully you haven't uh, had your first blow up yet. But my point is... Are we going to give him, are we going to be like the church of Ephesus and make it hard on him? I don't want to test him. I don't want to put him through a time of, is he going to be able to hack it? He going to take, no, God has given him everything he needs to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And that's exactly what he will do. You know, I think we all have a need to feel that our service of what we've done has been, has been worth it. That we all have done things and that I think all of us hope that, you know, in some way, have I been effective for the kingdom of God? Have I done something? And I want to reassure each of you that, that God sees and is pleased with, with every act of service as we work to fulfill that vision of leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. And if you feel the fire burning out, if the embers are starting to get cold, if you're like Timothy, you feel alone, and uh, what am I going to do? Or maybe you feel like Paul, I'm at the end. Boy, I could sure use a friend right now. If you're worried that our church is going to run out of steam, begin by offering up to God a small... Sacrifice called service. Do a little something for someone else. Expect nothing in return. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, you'll have your reward in full. I guess for North Hills, if you give a hot dog and a bowl of chili to this, this family... Your reward won't be taken from you. I talked to one of the families. Uh, it was the family over here that had her house burnt down. And the lady talked about how thankful she was that just out of nowhere, <laughs> this church ministered to them. And she you know, said, you know, we, we'll probably, we'd like to come, you know, maybe sometime we'll, we'll be there. Maybe, you know. We didn't minister them to them just because we wanted them here so we could get their money. We ministered to them in the name of Jesus because that's something that can never be taken away from them or from us. One little thing for somebody else expecting nothing in return, that one little flame can lead to a, a big roaring fire. So over the next month, month and a half or so, the, the little time I have left, I'm going to keep challenging us and challenging us because we're moving into, I think, one of the most exciting times in our church's history. God has brought us to this point for a reason. And I really feel like we're moving forward. We're making progress. We're, we're slowly becoming and doing the thing that God has intended us to always become. So as we move forward as a church and we begin to welcome Kyle to our church body, let's remind ourselves of our Mission, what we're really here for. What, what is our vision? Let's think of how we're we going to support Kyle. How are we going to work towards renewing our dedication to leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? Won't you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for this day. I thank you so much for this wonderful church and for the works that people are doing. For those among us who cast a vision, those who do little acts of service in the name of Jesus, that's the little flames that keep us going and keeps our little train moving down the tracks. Father, prepare our hearts and prepare our minds for a new era, a new time of ministry that's coming up. God, we ask you to bless Kyle and Jamie in their growth, in their ministry, as they begin to think about transitioning to a new state, 
a new group of people, a new job, so many unknowns. But we believe and love you, Father, and believe that you have prepared them for this moment and that you have given them the fire to minister to this church in the name of Jesus. Amen.